In, in our first lecture, we dealt with the indestructibility of the nation of Israel. In our second uh, lecture, we, did, we dealt with the initial return of that nation, which many brothers and sisters uh, in this hall uh, have lived to witness personally. Today, we propose to attempt to look into the future. You know, uh, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more difficult it is to look into the future and, and see the details of it. Uh, that, however, is no excuse for not attempting to do so. Uh, this talk, uh, I trust, will not be as long as the other two, and, uh, and deliberately so, because with a group of people gathered together such as we are today from many different places, uh, I think that you all must have ideas and thoughts and questions in your mind. And at the end of this lecture, uh, I've obtained permission from the committee to uh, have a question period and, and a general discussion. Now, I don't propose to answer all the questions, but I'm sure that there are answers and suggestions uh, among this total group. And uh, uh, one thing we don't want to do, we, we don't want to get into uh, controversy at this time. Uh, on any point, if, if uh, uh, that tends to occur, I will suggest that the contending parties fight it out, uh, out back. So uh, here we, we would like to be as, as constructive as possible. Psalm, Psalm 102, beginning at verse 13, states, Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. What does it mean when the Lord shall build up Zion? Does it mean Mount Zion? Does it mean Jerusalem? Does it mean the nation of Israel? I think we've all tended to think that, that it means that primarily the nation of Israel. We are now in the 45th year since the United Nations divided Palestine into a Jewish and an Arab state. We are in the 44th year since the sovereign state of Israel was declared and our Lord has not yet appeared in his glory. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 27 to 31 gives, gives us something else to think about. And the Lord shall scatter you among the heathen, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord leadeth you. And there ye shall serve God, and there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. Now listen to this. If from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, and thou shalt seek him with all thine heart and with all thine soul. Now I'd like to make it very clear right now that I am not one of these people 
uh, of whom there are some, that feel that the coming of the Lord is completely dependent upon uh, Israel's repentance. And if they don't repent, then he won't come. I, I don't believe that. I believe that the, the coming of the Lord is a fixed date and time. Uh, and although it is tied in with the repentance of Israel, that repentance will take place uh, in, a, in a proper sequence. Now continuing, When thou art in tribulation and all these things come upon thee, even in the latter days, in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he sware unto thee. Now, at this point in time, whether in the uh, the land itself or in the diaspora uh, the Jews do not seek God I'm, I'm speaking of as a body not, not, as an in, not as individuals even during the Holocaust uh, few Jews acknowledged uh, that their persecutions were brought about by their own sins the few did though and, and uh, I'm not suggesting that they were all saved but, but some escaped that had that opinion. When I was in Israel in 1966, which seems I tell people when I show my slides now that I'm showing them slides of ancient Israel, but in 1966 we had an Austrian Jewish guy who told us there were three types of Jews in Israel. A large number were atheists and agnostics who fled to Israel simply to escape the persecution they were under in Europe. The second group were Orthodox Jews who were not the least bit interested in the state of Israel. All they wanted was to be left in their synagogue to observe the rituals and to live the life they had lived for the past 2,000 years. But the third group believed that the hand of God was working in their destiny but they confessed they didn't know how and when we were there we uh, presumed to suggest to them that we did know how however they listened politely none of these uh, groups search the scripture uh, in a sincere effort to seek God. The atheists had no interest at all, of course. The the orthodox thought they knew it all. The rabbis over the centuries had answered all the questions, so it was no longer necessary to search the scripture. You you simply read the the works of the rabbis. Uh, Those who uh, felt that the hand of God was working with them they didn't search the scriptures either that they expected this to be handed to them on a platter now we must remember the words of the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 25 to 27 where he says for I, I would not brethren that ye should be ignorant of this mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion a deliverer 
and shall turn away ungodliness from, from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. The question is then, friends and brethren, when is this point in time when the fullness of the Gentiles shall have come in? Or to put it in another way, when will the return of Christ take place? Well, the, the precise answer to that question is that no one knows for, for sure. Uh, as Christ himself said in Mark 13 and 32, but of, of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. On the other hand, we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching, as ye see the day approaching. And thus, although we do not know the day or the hour, we are nevertheless able, through the witness of Israel and the building up of Zion, to see that day approaching. We have also, as the Apostle Peter reminded us in Second Peter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. You know, I, I think that it would be a good exercise for the Christadelphians to look in detail over many uh, of the prophecies, particularly uh, in Jeremiah. Uh, now that time has passed, new developments have taken place. Uh, in, in many respects, I think we can see details in these prophecies which we would not have been able to see in past years. And it, it is a, a good suggestion to, to restudy them. Utilizing this more sure word of prophecy then, we recall, for instance, the great seven times prophecy recorded uh, in Leviticus 26, where four times in verses 18, 21, 24, and 28, the Lord states in effect, I will punish you seven times for your sins. In this chapter also, we have a, a con conditional promise contained in verses 40 to 42, and speaking of, the, uh, of Israel, the Lord states, it is another one of these conditional promises, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, now this is, this is in other words, is full disclosure of the, the situation, the way it has been, and have brought them into their into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham. Uh, will I remember and I will remember the land. 
this seven times is a is a period also of course dealt with in Daniel chapter 4 where Daniel interprets the great dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the tree that was cut down and the stump banded with bands of uh, iron and brass uh, for a period of seven times in his book Light for the Last Days uh, written by the late Grattan Guinness and published in the year 1888 Mr. Guinness states, Here, therefore, we take for granted what has been abundantly proven by many godly and learned critics and what we ourselves uh, also in the former work demonstrated and assume the following conclusions. And I'm only going to read one of them, which is, which is well recognized and accepted by the Christadelphians. Uh, that in symbolic prophecy a day is the symbol of a year and a time 360 years now I'm sure we've all gone through the exercise of of this proof time and time again and I'm not going to do it again now but a day And the day is a symbol of a year, and a year three hundred and and a. I'll get it right here. You know, when you're sitting in an easy chair, looking at talking to your friends, everything is clear. That in the symbolic prophecy, a day is the symbol of a year and a time, rather three hundred and sixty years. Seven times then is a period of twenty five hundred and twenty years also known as the times of the Gentiles. The historic difficulty has been, looking at the, back at the time of Dr. Thomas, is to know when this period commenced. Now it was Jesus who used the term the times of the Gentiles in Luke 21 and 24 where he said, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And thus the times of the Gentiles is defined by the treading down of Jerusalem by the Gentiles. Now historically speaking, uh, the treading down of Jerusalem by the Gentiles started with the Babylonian captivity. This captivity started uh, in about 606 B.C. when Daniel and his companions were taken uh, captive into Babylon. But it was not until 586 B.C. that the temple was destroyed and the captivity was completed. Thus we have a 20-year initiating period, uh, as it were, wherein at some point the 2,520-year period was to commence. Uh, Our next clue comes from Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great image. This was a representation of world empires from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until the coming of Christ, Uh, This also is a representation of the times of the Gentiles. It started with the head of gold in in Daniel 2 and 38. The prophet states to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art this 
head of gold. Rat and Guinness writes, It was in the year 606 that Nebuchadnezzar first came against Judah and carried Daniel and the Hebrew children, among others, captive. At this time, he was acting on behalf of his father, and it was not until nearly two years later, in 604 BC, that he himself acceded to the throne. This year is consequently, properly speaking, the first of Nebuchadnezzar, and it was probably also the year in which he saw the vision of the great image, in connection with which it was said of him, Thou art this head of gold. End of quote. Uh, not quite. There's another quote here too. It says this: This year has therefore some special claims to be considered as a very principal starting point of the times of the Gentiles. Now this is what uh, Grattan Guinness in 1888 was saying, and it's quite remarkable that, that he was correct. Now with the starting point of 604 BC, the addition of 2,520 years brings us to 1917, just as the chart uh, which is available on the, the back table uh, shows us. In 1917 was the year of the Balfour Declaration and the year that General Allenby drove the, the Turkish power out of Palestine. And it initiated the beginning of the end of Gentile times. Grattan Guinness once again wrote, but there can be no question that those who live to see this year, 1917, will have reached one of the most important, perhaps the most momentous, of the terminal uh, years of crisis. Indeed, this, brothers and sisters, was the most momentous year in the history of the Christadelphians. And I have an article, a little, at least a portion of an article, written by our late sister uh, Sarah Ferrer. Uh, it was published in the January 1969 uh, Advocate. And I think it's, it's worthwhile reading a couple of paragraphs of, of what she says because she was there when, in 1917 when this uh, uh, Balfour Declaration was made. She says, we have heard much about the Balfour Declaration issued on November 2, 1917, which viewed with favor the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. But hearing about it later can never impart the thrill of actually seeing the headlines in the paper for the first time. There was no radio nor television in those days. But this thrill in, in November 1917 was completely eclipsed the next month when Lord Allenby, uh, the British Field Marshal, took Jerusalem in December of 1917 and the Turks were completely routed and driven bag and baggage out of Palestine. This not only brought to pass the expected uh, bringing of the British into Palestine, but completed the long-watched prophecy of Revelation 16 and 12 of the drying up of the river Euphrates as far as the land of Israel was concerned. It would be impossible for me to even try to tell you how the Brotherhood felt at that time. I think 
uh, I can say that there was not an alert Christadelphian in the world who did not feel exactly the same as though an angel had spoken to them with a direct message. Long-distance telephone calls were rare in those days, but brethren called long-distance to speak to one another out of the fullness of their hearts. No event since that time, not even June 1967, has produced the same pitch of emotion. Brother Sargent, in July 1967, Christadelphian Magazine, draws attention to the change between the profound emotion with which the Brotherhood in 1917 greeted the Balfour Declaration and the capture of Jerusalem and the comparative placidity of many of the present day. And, and Sister Farah says here in 1969, I can vouch for the truth of this statement. <coughs> In the twelfth chapter of Daniel, the prophet sees a vision in which he sees a river. On each bank of the river there is a man standing and a third man standing upon the waters in, in the middle of the river. The river apparently represents the times of the Gentiles and the question is asked in verse 6, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? The answer given in verse 7 is a time, times and a half, or three and a half times, uh, which is one half of the seven times period, or 1260 years. Now, if the end of these wonders is the end of Gentile times, it would seem logical that if we measure back from 1917, 1260 years, we should arrive at a significant date. And that date uh, would be the year 657 A.D. Now, 657 A.D. is the first year of Pope Vitalianus. Uh, in his book, The Approaching End of the Age, Grattan Guinness indicates that in the year 663, Pope Vitalianus enjoined the exclusive use of the Latin tongue in the offices of divine worship throughout Christendom, thus completing the development of the Latin or Roman church. So this was a significant date. Uh, I've noticed on all of the church, charts, rather, I, I have never seen or, uh, a real suggestion of what the starting point of this 1260-year period was. And uh, uh, it seems to me that uh, Grattan Guinness really doesn't say it's the beginning of anything. He gives a long chart of dates of, of popes, etc. And I just happened to, to pick this out, that in the year 657, this is what happened. But of course, uh, Grattan Guinness um, uh, makes it very plain that this Pope Vitalianus was the one who Latinized the church. <clears throat> now, having determined two significant terminal dates in this three and a half year period, we can with some confidence do what Brother Alan Laird did of Ottawa, Ontario, and as, as shown on the, the chart on the back table, 
is to add the 75 year time extension given in Daniel at uh, 12 verses 1 and 2 to 1917. You see, uh, neither Dr. Thomas nor Grattan Guinness knew whether this 75 year extension should be added or, would, or should be included in the, uh, uh, the, the 2520 year period. Daniel 12 and 11 states, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Now, this rendering, according to Dr. Thomas, is misleading, and it should be expressed in, in this way. He said, At the time of and at the time of vengeance the daily shall be taken away in order to set up an abomination that maketh desolate a thousand two hundred and ninety days. So Dr. Thomas is suggesting that there is a, an interval of time between the taking away of the daily sacrifice and the setting up uh, of the abomination that maketh desolate, although he doesn't say what length of time this might be. Now, 1,290 years may be divided into a period of 1,260 years with an addition of three and a half times, uh, or which rather I should say is three and a half times, and an extension of 30 years. If we consider that 1,260-year period ended in 1917, which was a very significant year, the addition of 30 years would bring us to 1947, which is the year that the United Nations partitioned the land of Palestine into a Jewish and an Arab state, fulfilling Joel's prophecy, which we I won't read entirely again, which contained the phrase, they, and parted my land. Now verse 12 of Daniel 12 as a further extension of time, blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred five and thirty days, breaking uh, down then this period into its basic parts. We have twelve hundred and sixty years plus thirty years plus forty five years, and converting these dates, we have nineteen seventeen. 1947 and 1992 which happens to be this year. <clears throat> now reviewing these dates we have 604 BC which is the first year of Nebuchadnezzar the head of gold 657 AD uh, which was the midpoint in the seven times period. It's the first year of Italianus. Now it seems to me that if 604 was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar and 657 was the first year of Italianus, this adds a little more weight to the idea that it's, it's a significant point. Uh, and, and Vitalianus was the man who, who Latinized the church. Then in 1917, we have the uh, end of the seven times period. 
the Balfour Declaration and the driving of the Turks uh, out of Jerusalem and out, and, and out, of, out of Palestine as well. 1947, the parting of the land into a Jewish and an Arab section. Now, with this list of significant dates, it would appear virtual certainty that 1992, this present year, must also be significant. It's uh, anybody that, that deals with graphs and charts knows that that if you can get two two uh, significant points on a chart, it's possible to project that chart uh, to a possible third significant point. Well, we we really have three significant points here defined for us. <clears throat> the prophecy states, "Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to this year." And that's what whatever happens, brothers and sisters. Possibly the return of Christ Himself. Whatever happens, it will be a blessing for the saints. Thus, it is possible that 1992 will witness the fact that the fullness of the Gentiles will have come in, and blindness in part will begin of Israel will begin to be cured. The only difficulty that, that I have experience with these dates is in the 1290 year section. Now it would seem to me that if the, the abomination that maketh desolate refers to the Mohammedan power, we should be able to find an Arab event in the year 657 corresponding to Pope Vitalianus. Now, in searching around to try to find something, the Muslims completed their conquest of, Pal of Palestine in the year 640 A.D., which was previous to 657. The Mosque of Omar, or the Dorm Dome of the Rock, was completed in 691. Uh, the year 657, of course, lies in between these dates. On the other hand, from a spiritual standpoint, the Latin church has been the greatest desolator of all. Our present position in history, unlike that of Dr. Thomas and Grattan Guinness, time, uh, you, you don't find anything significant uh, in deducting 30 years and 45 years from 1917. Dr. Thomas died in the year 1871, 46 years before 1917. We are now 75 years beyond 1917. And 1992, as far as I know, is the last mathematical point in biblical prophecy of which we have any knowledge. We're, we're running out of dates when we get past 1992. Not to say that there, that there aren't events beyond but that mathematically we're running out of dates. And it is a strange coincidence that from the death of Dr. Thomas, beginning in, uh, until I should say, the beginning of 1992 is approximately 120 years. 
which is the same length of time which elapsed between the time when God spoke to Noah and the beginning of the deluge. Now, I don't know whether there's any significance in that or not, but the, 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 the time period is, exists. If we assume that the return of our Lord is this year, which could be entirely wrong, I'm, not, I'm certainly not sticking my neck out to say it is, but if it is, and there's a, there's a good probability that it is, the question remains, what else must be accomplished as far as the Jews are concerned? Now, I, I hesitate to speak about prophecy. In fact, I told one brother a year or two ago that I wouldn't, would give no more prophetic lectures because I've been wrong too many times. And I, I hesitate to, to do so now. However, I suggest that it is, it is better to be honestly wrong uh, and that it is a less serious fault uh, than not watching at all or not attempting to uh, uh, keep our lamps fully burning and fully fueled. And therefore, in a in applauding and mildly in, intrepid fashion, we shall dare once again to, to gaze a little bit into uh, the prophets in the, in the light of what we now know and attempt to see a pattern for the future. Now, this pattern uh, may indeed very well come out better when, when we uh, enter into our brief discussion. Now, first of all, here are some of the current st- statistics drawn from uh, January the 4th, 1992 issue of the Jerusalem Post. A brother uh, said to me today that I must like statistics and, and I guess it must be true. I never thought of it that way before, but uh, these are, you know, it's hard to come by good, good figures sometimes concerning Israel, but here are a few which are apparently reliable. Uh, the number of Soviet Jews coming to Israel since September uh, 1989, when that, this wave of emigration took place, or started to take place, is 328,187. The total number of Soviet Jews coming to Israel since 1948 is 501,644. The number of Jews still in the Soviet Union is about 3,000. I think I may have said 2,000 yesterday, but I think the correct one is 3,000. And thus only 17% of all Soviet, Soviet Jews are in Israel. Now this doesn't I think I said the other day that 25% of all the Jews in the world were in Israel, but 17% of all Soviet Jews are there. Now the current rate of immigration of the Soviet Jews to Israel is about 800 per month. And at this rate, it would take approximately 31 years uh, to bring 3 million Jews out of Russia. Now we know that that isn't going to happen that way because I am sure we are in far more critical times that than, than would allow 31 more years to elapse in bringing Jews out of Russia. Now according to Ezekiel 39, which we read, all the Jews in the world will be brought back to Israel after the Gogian invasion. And at which time both Israel and the world will recognize the hand of God in human affairs. Now based upon Ezekiel 38, the Gogian host will be made up 
of the all the nations of the former Soviet Union, along with France, Germany, Turkey, Persia, Ethiopia, Liberty, Libya, and other unnamed nations probably in Eastern Europe. The present economy of the Russian state is such that she is not immediately capable of initiating an invasion from both a, a standpoint of economics and of organization. Since the, the fractionating movement in the country has not yet reached a position of stabilization or perhaps in another way has not yet, has not yet reached a point of, of uh, uh, organization uh, which would allow such an invasion to take place. Uh, of the group of nations mentioned uh, uh, as the Gagian host, only Libya and Iran have expressed open hostility towards Israel. It will take some time to organize all the nations involved uh, uh, to prepare for an invasion of the magnitude described in Ezekiel 38. Now I su submit that barring unforeseen circumstances, uh, which of course is not impossible to happen, you know, the way things happen today, uh, it seems to be completely unpredictable. And I, and, uh, I could be completely wrong in saying that the Gagian invasion will, will not occur for a while yet. But the way it looks at the present time, I would say that the Gagian invasion will not occur until after the return of Christ, based upon the assumption of the return of Christ this year, 1992. I think that we should always maintain an attitude of, of flexibility. We're all watching. It is, it is no disgrace to be wrong. It, it, it is a disgrace not to be watching. And therefore, that any suggestion that I make is, is, you might say, is a model, something to be looked at and watched for a while. And if events come along which would indicate a change is necessary, then we'll make that change. I'm not suggesting either, and I, and I, and I hope no one feels that in any way I'm, I'm departing from the, the general scheme of things suggested by Dr. Thomas because I, I think that he is, is the expert in the field. But uh, we, we all have to be watching. If, uh, we all are interested in the details and in the timing of these things and uh, therefore we can uh, make little projections or possible projections as we go along. Another assumption that I should like to make and that I'm satisfied can be historically demonstrated and is in agreement with the thinking of Dr. Thomas is that in the prophecy of Daniel 11 concerning the king of the north that this prophecy is but another view of the Gogian invasion contained in Ezekiel 38 looking at it from a different angle. Ezekiel 38 focused on Israel, like looking through a, a, a narrow-range telescope, whereas uh, Daniel 11 takes a, a wide focus, not only of Israel, but of the other nations. I'm also satisfied that Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24 and 24, and Jeremiah's prophecy of chapter 50, 
are also speaking about the Gogian invasion. And I'm, as I've said already, I'm very much aware of the vulnerability of any man or woman who ventures into the field of prophetic interpretation. Who can have dreamed that the iron-handed Soviet Union would have simply disintegrated without a war, without a struggle, in a matter of months? It's just unbelievable. Who would have conceived of the rise of Saddam Hussein, the powerful leader of Iraq, which has... Uh, uh, who could have predicted the Gulf War, which has partly set the stage for the Gagian invasion? There are presently in the armed forces of what used to be the Soviet Union four million men who at the present time are idle. This is a tremendous financial burden upon uh, the Soviet Union or what is it, what's left of it. There are disputes going on now as to how these armed forces should be divided up among the various nations uh, of the old Union. And if and when they are divided up, no one knows what to do with them. If they are disbanded, there's no work for them. And this situation, of course, has to be explosive. Uh, there have been suggestions, and, and uh, uh, there is certainly historical precedent for it, that uh, when a, a large nation of this kind uh, gets into political instability, it is always an opportunity for a dictator to come to the surface and take over. And this, this may well be the case. Uh, one, one reason we might say this is, is that uh, in Ezekiel 38 it speaks of Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now, Meshach and Tubal have all fallen apart at the moment. And, and some people have gone so far as to say that, that uh, well, we, we, the Christadelphians' idea of the Gagi invasion, it has to be changed. This is, this is altogether different. Well, uh, you may rest assured, and here I will stick my neck out a long ways, that it won't be different that the, the Gagian invasion will take place exactly as we have historically believed it would. But the, but the time remains to see how the, 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 the nation is pulled back together and how it is directed towards the Middle East. One year after the Gulf War, although Kuwait has been liberated and, and Baghdad dev devastated, and the economy of the racket is in ruins. Saddam Hussein is still in control. His elite armed forces are still preserved, and the development of nuclear weapons for Iraq is still being undertaken, regardless of the efforts of the United Nations to prevent this. The perpetual hatred of the Arabs for Israel still continues and another war could break out at any time. Surely, the Middle East boiling pot of unrest and the wealth of oil available as to an invading nation will eventually enter the mind of Russia. When this invasion takes place, it'll probably go 
uh, into the Middle East with the idea of straightening out all this mess that takes place. But of course there's always the economic angle in mind of seizing the oil. And of course when they move in this direction, this evil thought occurs and Israel then becomes also involved. Numbers 24 and 24 states, and ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. Asher is the present-day Iraq. Eber, in my opinion, is based, based upon archaeological evidence, is Syria. Jeremiah 50, verse 1 states, The word of the Lord uh, spoke against uh, Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Verse 3. Out of, the, out of the north there cometh up a nation against thee which shall make her land desolate and none shall dwell therein. They, sh they shall remove, they shall depart both man and beast. Now this is not speaking about Cyrus because Cyrus was not a desolator. He didn't destroy Babylon when, when he came into it. Babylon uh, uh, virtually fell apart over a period of, of a century or so. Verse 4, I think, is a key verse. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping they shall go and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Now, this is the condition of Israel that has to prevail when they shall uh, be entirely gathered back to their own land. And I, could, I, I thought that the, the hymn that we sang this evening had particular significance uh, in verse 3 where it says, Then shall Israel long dispersed, uh, mourning, seek the Lord their God. See, they came with weeping. Mourning, seek the Lord their God. Look on him who once they pierced, uh, own and kiss the chastening rod. Then all Israel shall be saved. War and tumult then shall cease while the greater son of David rules a conquered world in peace. You see, we've been singing about this for years and years, and, and now we are on the very verge of it taking place. Now with respect to Syria, we have the prophecy of Isaiah 17. The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aror are, are forsaken. They, they shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Damascus is the world's oldest con continuing city. Uh, it has been attacked many times, has suffered through many wars, but it has never been destro destroyed. Uh, who will destroy Damascus? Will it be the Gogian host, or will it be Israel? The prophecy is not absolutely specific. In my opinion, it is Israel who destroys Damascus, uh, which occurs as a result of another Arab-Israeli uh, war. Verses 3 and 4 in this prophecy seems to, to suggest this to me. It says, The fortress 
also shall cease from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel saith the Lord of hosts and in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean then in verse 7 at that day shall a man look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. You see, once again, the suggestion of the turning of Israel to God, which must take place. It appears from this prophecy that when Damascus is destroyed, Israel also will be weakened but the result will be that they will turn uh, to the Lord. I therefore am of the opinion that another Arab-Israeli war uh, will probably take place this year. Once again, uh, I'm prepared to be wrong, but I suspect it will probably take place this year. Uh, such a war is, is no doubt the trigger which will produce the Gagian invasion. And certainly, if Israel were to destroy Damascus with atomic or laser weapons or whatever they have up their sleeve we don't know about, uh, th this will draw the, the hatred of the entire world against them. <clears throat> we also, for various reasons, feel that there will be an interval of time between the uh, coming of the Lord and when he reveals himself to Israel I think this also is nothing new and it's, it's characteristic Christadelphian thinking I should like to bring this talk to a close with the reading of the last three paragraphs of Sister Ferrer's article in the Advocate which was under the under the title of a generation of prophecy. Now, the attitude of the brethren in, in 1969, and particularly of Sister Fair, uh, is the same then as it, ours should be now, and I, I think it probably is. And she, in, in concluding her article, and she, in in her article, she she covered her her old her own lifetime of prophetic events and how the brotherhood felt uh, at various times and sometimes they were discouraged and sometimes they were encouraged. She said, "I would like to re-emphasize that any sense of discouragement that might have been experienced when a notable time period expired without the master's return was more." then counterbalanced by the occurrence of a really notable sign that, that we could know for sure that had been foretold in God's word. It is as though we were traveling to a distant city, the way to which we did not know, uh, only we had been given explicit written directions with clearly defined landmarks by one who did know the way. The road was long with many twists and bends along the way. Each time we saw a landmark uh, which had been accurately described, we felt certain our destination was just around the next bend. 
This happened many times, so our disappointments were great. Nevertheless, we could know for certain that the landmarks passed were unquestionably the ones described in our directions. In spite of our discouragement, would we not take heart knowing we really were on the right road and ever drawing nearer to our destination? Would we, we would never conclude that it was all a hoax and turn aside into the woods and become lost. So it is with us. We know that the landmarks are nearly all past, and very soon, just around the corner, the glorious vision will burst upon our sight, even the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, and every eye shall see him. And that's the end of the article. No, Brother Tom? Do we have any time left? When, when, uh, how, how much, when do we usually wind up? <laughs> well, uh, that being the case, I'm, going, I'm now on the committee and I'm making the decision. It, it's uh, 20 minutes to 3. Let, let's call it 20 minutes maximum, if, if not less. Now, as I say, I, I'm not the one to answer all the questions, but I, I will certainly share the questions or, or uh, counter suggestions. I'm, we, we're, we, we all want to find out the truth of these things as, as well as we can. So, open. Brother Ben. Do you think that uh, Christ is going to come and judge his household before the Gogan invasion, or is the Gogan invasion going to take place first and then Christ comes later? Well, I guess I would have to say, based upon the thinking in this lecture, that he probably judges the household before the Gogian invasion. Any other thoughts on that subject? I know, I know at one time I, I was quite convinced that the Gogian invasion would, would uh, be before the return of Christ, but, uh, and it might, you know, I, it, it could be, but it, it seems to be looking the other way. Uh, Brother Tom? not be concurrent? Yes, it could be concurrent very, very, very easily. Now, this gets us into the problem of, of uh, how long the judgment takes. And, and I'm sure that this could occupy an hour and a half if we let it, so we better not do that. He used the figure of 3,003 million. Which do you mean of the number of Jews still in Russia? Three million. Three million. What's a... What's a so you said 3,000 at one time. Did, did I? No, yeah, um, three, I three, three million. Three, three million. That's a slight error. Uh, uh, the safety prize has already gone by by some thought where uh, Egypt and, and Israel have their first agreement. Uh, uh, well, um, I'll give you quickly my thought on it and, and somebody else can, can come in. Uh, I have wondered sometime whether there, whether there is such a thing as a peace and safety crime. When, in, in looking at the passage where it is written, uh, it seems to me in many, many, many ways it is saying that, that life is still going on. It's like that Noah before the flood. 
that, that life went on and went on and went on. Every, everything was peace and safety. Nothing was happening. And, and all of a sudden, whambo, uh, the flood came. Now, it, it could be like that. Uh, uh, certainly, at the present moment, that Israel and the Arab states are in a pre- position of negotiating with one another, and they are, they are, are you might say, calling for peace and safety. So uh, the question is, is it a time when peace and safety exists? Is it a time when they're looking for it? Is it a time when they're talking about it? Uh, I don't know. Alan? It seems to be two types of peace and safety. One, when man speaks of peace and safety, watch out for the Lord will not make it so. Then there's another peace and safety spoken of, uh, which is really emphasized in Hebrews as well, uh, the idea of a rest or a peace in which there has been atonement uh, recognition of Christ by the Jew, which brings peace or, or harmony or a oneness with their God and within the kingdom. But that safety also can be looked upon as a as a confidence in God rather than a confidence in man. And it seems throughout the scriptures there are those two uh, different types of but when that peace and safety occurs, there will be no sudden destruction coming upon them. Because uh, the, the I think what our brothers are thinking about is that the peace and safety cry uh, followed by the sudden destruction. Because it, it, in the, the scripture says that the, the wicked are like a troubled sea when, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And... and uh, uh, it uh, uh, President Bush's vision of a of a new world order, of course, we all believe will be sadly uh, uh, in error. Uh, let's let's now, Ben. One closing thought that I would have, and that is, don't be dogmatic about it. It's just not the thing to do. There are a lot of people dogmatic. This is it. You see. Prophecy, you cannot be sure about it. So I say, don't be dogmatic. Well, I, I, I would certainly agree uh, with that. And, and when we say that, uh, we're, we're not we're not talking about uh, all the prophecy that's been fulfilled that we, we that we know has been pinned down. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, the 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 very short vision that human beings have with respect to these things. Uh, Chuck. I'd just like to inform everybody of an article that I found out of a paper just this week. It says, ultra-Orthodox Jews expect Messiah at any time. And just two short paragraphs I'd like to read. It says, this is in Israel. In recent days, billboards and bumper stickers announcing Messiah's imminent arrival have sprouted throughout the country. Many believers have mounted small day glow signs atop their cars to herald the event. I don't know what day glow signs are. But uh, it also states among the Lubavitchers in Brooklyn, this is where one of the Lubavitchers resides, he's a rabbi, 
because the anticipation is so high that many are wearing phone beepers with a special number that will let them know the moment the Messiah arrives. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. Cut out anybody wants to look at it and read it. Okay. Have you had enough? Should we, should we call it a day or, or is, are there any other questions? Right. A comment, Brother Tell, on Isaiah 17. You, you seem to make mention that because of the destruction of Damascus there, you thought it was something performed by Israel. I guess I'd just like to su- suggest to you that the language of the fifth through seventh verses to me seem to indicate something a little bit different, especially in verse seven. It says that at that day shall a man look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect for the Holy One of Israel. That seems to suggest to me that this time frame is pointing more to where Christ has been in the land, like you say, post-Gogian invasion, Christ and the saints are there. I just wanted to give you that That's that's very possible. Very, very possible. Well, I don't see any more hands, so we'll call it a day. Oh, with one more hand. Uh, being that Russia is now no more Russia. Our, I'm a normal, so we need to do it 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 so we need to do it